The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather to worship Almighty God together, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for, in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your choices of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. Today, especially in winter intercession at Boston University, we welcome in Coro Novo, under the direction of Dr. Therese Provenzano, they often come to offer service and leadership in these break weeks, and we're grateful for their presence today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Together, let us pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, it is our custom, our tradition, and our practice as we begin our service of worship together to bow, to recognize in a time of quiet that we are all more human than anything else, that we depend upon the grace of God. Here is encouragement in the pews nearby, listening with you from afar. There are others who know your condition. We together all, by our presence, confess our need of grace and happily turn as the choir sings our Kyrie to receive God's pardon and peace. Let us pray. We are in good hands, so it does behoove us to bear one another's burdens. Beloved, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 19 with the Antiphon.
The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
be seated. Into this special hour and this somewhat different Sunday, we welcome one and all. Many of our staff and administrators and faculty and students are on break, but I am so pleased to see you all here, so many of you. That means that you remembered to turn back your clocks, turn jump forward, and you are with us. For those who may be listening from afar who didn't quite make the jump, we especially welcome you this day as well. We thank Sandra Cole, our membership secretary for the chapter, mem chapter membership, who will be offering our pastoral prayer in just a few minutes. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. Together we are on a Lenten journey. We are moving from sensation to reflection, from the depths of a technological culture to the heights of a reflective faith. We in Marsh Chapel today are on this journey. We listening from afar are on this journey. We around the globe and later audition are on this journey all together. We are climbing, hiking, marching together. We are moving from activity to awareness. We are on the way from sensation to reflection. Today we affirm Christ and the presence of the kingdom in four measures. We look first to our own experience as we open ourselves to the divine presence. In particular, this Lent, we are trying together to announce the good news of the gospel, the gift and grace of faith, in a way that creatively redeems the culture of our time. We are moving from cyber sensation to careful reflection, from fingertip activity to spiritual awareness. We want to be aware of who we are. We want to be aware of what we are doing. On this journey, now and then, we may run into some trouble. One day, that is, you may encounter some e-trouble. One morning, my son called me with this story. At that time, he was clerking for a federal judge in Albany. Apparently, in that judicial employment system, when one falls ill and runs out of sick days, others can take from their sick day account and give to the need. One worker received days from about 20 others, healed up and went back to work, and the colleague who organized the sick day bank support essayed to write a thank you note, which she did. It was a very simple note, graciously thanking the donors, reporting on the healing, and wishing all well. This would have been no problem, except that in the mailing of the thank you note, she hit the wrong key and sent to the wrong list, not a list of 20 donors, but a general list of 200,000 judicial employees. You spell that, oops. Yet even this would also have been no problem, except that a lawyer in Arizona took umbrage at the E incursion and said so in a curtly written note. This is not my issue. This is not my problem. You invaded my space. Thanks, but no thanks. Plus, I really do not agree with this whole socialist sick day swapping thing anyway. Which also would have been all right, except that she hit reply all, and in the next hour said my son he had 100 emails in his box. Yes, sick day bank. No, Arizona. Yes, thank you note. No to rude response. Yes to liberty. No to Obama. I have no idea how he got in there. <laughs> Until one kindly attorney from the St. Lawrence River area shouted out, stop. He shouted, you know, because he used capital. This is what makes people suspicious of lawyers in general and federal workers in particular. We have better things to do with our time. This also would have been no problem, except, except that before he signed off, he wrote and then sent this reply all. P.S. While I have your attention, I want you to know that I am an amateur chef and I would like to take this opportunity to share with all of you my favorite recipe for cooking salmon reply all. And on the day went, salmon yes, salmon no, amateur chef yes, email re re recipe no. I reflected on this 
after my own experience, some of you shared it this past Wednesday morning, when we received 100 or more reply-all emails, the result of one mistaken and frustrated epistle. Friends, we need to reflect this Lent on our sensation, on our experience. We need to think about our actual, hour-by-hour, lived experience. Our experience poses sets of challenges for our reason to which, in the second place, we now turn. We want this Lent to be a mindful Lent, to be mindful, aware, reflective, considerate. We shall move from the fingertips to the brain waves, not ad unguem, but ad hominem. We want to move beyond neglect. In recent measure, by the reason, the mind reminds us of our capacity to neglect. The mind, the reason, such a wonderful, powerful gift, reminding us that too often we succumb to willful neglect of vast stretches of reality. Regularly, we are complicit in willful ignorance of broad swaths of actual human experience. Rightly, we affirm nothing, is hu- nothing human is foreign to us. That, that may be more our hope, though, than our reality. On a Sunday morning, in a moment of contrition, there is quite enough space to show us again our mistaken willful neglect here and there of vast stretches of reality. We willfully neglect the amount of time each of us has upon this earth. We tend to live as if we were, as my friend once put it, temporarily immortal. Yet regarding flesh and bone, we each have a measured, discreet amount of time, and the reason reminds us so. Our life is limited. God's grace is limitless. Sometimes we live as if the opposite were the case in both directions. Given such a capacity for neglect of stretches of reality, it may not be surprising to note now and then how often we stumble here. Our own reasoned tradition embedded in ancient writings gives us speech to stand in the breach. Remember the Bible, the way the Bible begins. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and God, what? Said, why or let there be light. Speech creates, redeems, sustains. God speaks in Genesis 1 and creates a world. God promises in Genesis 17 and creates a people. God commands in Exodus 20, heard today, and defines a decalogue. God authorizes through the judges, admonishes through the prophets, teaches through the writers, prophesies through the seers. To Elijah, we recalled last week, he speaks in a still, small voice. God speaks. God's word in the parables of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the thunder outside Paul's Antioch, in the child's voice in Augustine's garden, in the silence of the dark night of St. John of the Cross, in the lectures of Luther, the sermons of Calvin, the hymns of Wesley, the shouts of the Baptists, the wails of the Pentecostals, the prayers of the Anglicans, and the quiet of the Quakers. Day to day pours forth speech, all the way from creation to this very moment, right now, this sermon, right here. You know, this is a spoken moment. You do not know where this sermon will end. Where this ends and how you do not know. You harbor a hope that I do. <laughs> Me too, though we leave a measure to the Holy Spirit. You do, you do not, not even know if the sermon will end. It will. 
There is a mystery to speech, all speech, words, all words, voice, all voices. And that can be very frightening. Our neighbor Sherry Turkle interviewed a 20-year-old who abhorred the telephone because he said, I just don't know how to end the conversation. Well, that is the way with speech. You cannot scroll ahead to the end or read the last chapter first or speed through the subheadings. You just don't know how it will turn out. You do not know how or if the sermon will end. I wonder what the mystified congregation in Duke Chapel, May 1975, thought that when they heard William Stringfellow finally end his highly reasonable but passionate sermon with this following paragraph. Technocracy cannot tolerate human creativity because that cannot be quantified, programmed, and forecast, so it must be suppressed, destroyed, or displaced. As often as not, it is substitution which happens. And then the nomenclature of the art is misappropriated and applied to the anti-art, so as after a generation or two, to even deprive human memory of the art as a whole. We want to remember the mystery, power, of speech. Our third point of reference is tradition, our inheritance from other times and people. Today we listen to the voice of Jacques Ellul from more than 50 years ago. In Lent these years from this pulpit, we have tried to engage those with whom we disagree in an agreeable way. These have been teaching sermons in Lent over the last five years. That is, each Lent in a series I have engaged Bartian or more conservative voices from this pulpit from the liberal theological perspective of Marsh Chapel. So one year in Lent, we thought about the commentators on St. Paul, but from the point of view of Galatians. Another year, we addressed the doctrine of the atonement, but from a variety of perspectives. Yet another Lent, we listened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in part to keep him from becoming a captive of some much farther to the theological right. And this year, we return to Jacques Ellul, you may know him not at all, or only, if you do, as the author of the refrain, Think Globally, Act Locally. Elul was a French lay theologian who worked at the intersection of philosophy and culture. Next Sunday, we shall narrate his biography. Today, we allow him to help us reflect on faith and culture, on heightened reflection needed in an era of heightened sensation. High-tech requires high-touch. From long ago and far away, his primary work still addresses us regarding, in the title of his book, The Presence of the Kingdom. Elul prods us to move from sensation to reflection, from entrapment to affirmation. Here is a constructed Elul litany. Listen to these sentences as you might to a cantata or to a psalm. Listen for the recurring themes, the points of pronounced emphasis, he wrote. The Christian in this world is salt and light and sheep. A thing is only good or bad in its own time, according to its situation in the light of the kingdom of God, according to its conformity to the work of God for the coming of the kingdom, and according to its possible use for the glory of God. Become aware first. Live, don't act. Thus man who used to be the end of his whole humanist system of means, this human being who is still proclaimed as an end in political speeches, has in reality himself become the means of the very means which ought to serve him, as for instance in the economics of the state. In order that economics should be in a good condition, man submits to the demands of an economic mechanism, becomes a total producer, and puts all his powers at the disposal of production. He becomes an obedient consumer, and with his eyes shut, he swallows everything that economics puts into his mouth. Thus, fully persuaded that we are procuring the happiness of man, 
we are turning him into an instrument of these modern gods, which are our means. Thus, what we need is to rediscover all that the fullness of personal life means for someone standing on his or her own feet in the midst of the world who rediscovers his neighbor because he himself has been found by God. The intelligence of modern man is no longer nourished at the source of contemplation, of awareness of reality, and is more and more absorbed by the instrument which it has created, an instrument whose principal aim is the control of the material world. And finally, what the church ought to do is to try to place all people in an economic, intellectual, yes, in a psychological and physical situation, which is such that they can actually hear the gospel, that they can be sufficiently responsible to say yes or no, that they can be sufficiently alive for these words to have some meaning for them. To do so, the church and we as a part of the church will need and this is our fourth point of reference this morning, to invest ourselves fully in the scriptures. This year, our lectionary now will take us from Mark for a few weeks back into the Gospel of John, that great high peak promontory in the scripture. This Gospel, the fourth, helps those who struggle with dislocation and disappointment. The bride in Cana experienced dislocation this morning, and so have you. The Bride of Christ, that is the church, experiences disappointment, and so have we. Two problems, historical and fascinating, create our New Testament. One, the separation of the church from Judaism. Two, the delay of the expected parousia, the coming of the Lord. In the fourth gospel, these two come together with great ferocity. What makes this matter so urgent for us is that these two existential dilemmas, one of identity and one of imagination, are before every generation, including and especially our own. How do I become a real person? How do we weather lasting disappointment? How does one grow up? How do we become mature? What insight do we need amid the truly harrowing struggles over identity to become the people we are meant to become? What imagination, what hope molded by courage do we need to face down the profound despair of nuclear twilight and break free into a loving global future? More than any other document in ancient Christianity, John explored the first. More than any other document in ancient Christianity, John faced the second. Together we are on a Lenten journey. We are moving from sensation to reflection, from the depths of culture to the heights of faith. And we in Marsh Chapel today are on this journey. Today we began with our experience, then reasoned about it together, then placed both reason and experience in the light of tradition, and finally moved from tradition to the prototype of all tradition, the Holy Scripture. In life, in thought, with Elul, with John, we are listening from afar on this journey. We around the globe in later audition are on this journey all together, climbing, hiking, marching, together, moving from activity to awareness, from sensation to reflection. In particular, this Lent, we are trying to announce the good news of the gospel, the gift and grace of faith, in a way that creatively redeems the culture of our time. We want to be aware of who we are. We want to be aware of what we are doing. For the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night declares 
knowledge. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, you are welcome to follow your own tradition and stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together hymn 473, Lead Me Lord. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord, our God, our one true and living God. There is none beside you, for only you are holy and worthy to be praised. We lift up your name in thanksgiving and adoration. Praise to you, Almighty God. Today we proclaim that the power and wisdom of God was manifested in a poor servant who was born of humble means and crucified as a common criminal. This proclamation is counterintuitive if we try to understand it with a worldly vision. And so we pause during this season of reflection and preparation to tune into our godly wisdom. Cleanse our hearts and clear our minds so that we are willing and able to put aside our pursuit of power, wealth, and or influence. Help us to focus instead on strengthening our personal relationship with you. We pay close attention to your commandments, pure and sure, right and perfect, pure, true, and righteous. We thank you, gracious Father, for they have provided the prescription for revived souls, wisdom, rejoicing hearts, and enlightenment. Merciful Father, we confess our sins and humbly ask for your forgiveness. We seek you, Lord, and ask for the cleansing touch of the Holy Spirit to help us to love our neighbors, help the needy, comfort those in despair, and simply forgive. We agree with the words penned by Joseph Scriven. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We thank you for this opportunity to bring our burdens to you. For though we struggle with worries, doubts, and fears, we will not be shaken. Our faith in you helps us to endure whatever we encounter because we know you are at our right hand. We ask you to comfort us, to heal us, to fix us, securing knowing that if we ask, you will answer. Help us to hear and recognize your response. Give ear to our words, O Lord, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is the power and wisdom of God. Amen. And now we pray together the prayer of our Lord, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of Jesus Christ be with you. We welcome you once again to the nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you will take a moment to help us get to know you better by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew. We invite you to a hymn sing with Alice and Uriah at their home on Sunday, March 25th from 1 to 4 p.m. We invite you to gather around the piano and sing your favorite hymns. And if you have a favorite that's not in the chapel hymn book, we would invite you to bring music and we'll make copies to share with one another. There will be coffee, tea, and refreshments and sweet and savories to enjoy. If you'd like to join us, please RSVP to the chapel at chapel at bu.eu or call the chapel office at 617-353-3560. Finally, it is spring break at Boston University. Regular chapel activities during the week are suspended Monday through Friday. However, the dean and our undergraduate students invite you to stay connected while you're away and invite you to follow us on, ch on Twitter at Marsh Chapel. Now we invite you all who are on spring break to have a happy and safe spring break. For all other upcoming services and activities, we encourage you to keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where you may also find the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious God, even as you gave your all for us, may we give our all to you. Let us be mindful of our choices, our actions, and the use of our gifts each day, that they may glorify you. Amen. Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life, we pray, until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. 